think it, it just pays massive dividends if you're a business. You know, why would you why would you serve an average pint of beer if you can serve a brilliant one? Why would you make a poor cocktail when you can, you know, do it do it right? You know, so um, I, I kind of I think I trained myself into that <laughs> way of being by running a running a very busy cellar full of very brilliant beers. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. I should have known it would all come full circle. I was chosen to be the Norse god Freya in my fourth grade school play. If anyone knows anything about Freya, they know she has the reputation of being the party girl of Asgard. She can't help it if she's the goddess of nature and fertility. When our guest today, David Walwork, was naming his birch spirit, only Freya would do. It's a spirit I was destined to love, and I couldn't wait to find out his story. Bolton, which is just north of Manchester, um, you know, you know, not, not nice, you know, classic family, mum, dad, younger pesky brother, um, had a great time, just played a lot of football, uh, did all the stuff that kids do back uh, back then, worked ridiculously hard at school and then ran away to university and uh, kind of didn't, didn't go back, ran away to Norwich and did environmental science at university. Um, so you came down south? For, uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Norwich is kind of uh, a really cool, interesting town. It's it's almost um, it almost feels abroad. It's surrounded by quite a lot of countryside for a, a long way. So it's uh, it, it's um, uh, it's a long way from anywhere. Uh, you know? <laughs> so uh, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Absolutely loved it. And a beautiful part of the country. It is an absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. part of the country. The, uh, the the north of Broad is a fabulous uh, place to kind of go hanging around, mucking around on boats, and that's always good fun. And we've got some friends who've got um, they've got boats on the Broads, and we go we go and muck about up there every year. And we've still got friends back in Norwich, and had three great years at university, and then. Ended up running a great big pub in Norwich for the first couple of years of my job outside of uh, outside of university. So, but before that, you said you were studying environmental studies. Yeah, did environmental science. Uh, science. Yeah, yeah quite uh, you know qu- quite a while ago actually, before it became a super fashionable thing thing to do. Um, it was uh, it, it was a subject area I was quite interested in, um, and it was also a really good way of carrying on studying some subjects that I've done. Uh, back at school that I, that I really enjoyed and, and you know was, was reasonably good at so I've always been really interested in um, you know biology and marine biology and ecology and, and these, these kind of areas and that was a really good degree that allowed me to do that and carry on doing some geology which I was just really good at at a level so uh, um, it was a really good degree for me and I really I really enjoyed it um, but more than that, I just enjoyed the social side of the, uh, the whole university scene and spent my entire life running beer festivals and organising parties and, uh, 
of course, universities best years of your life, and and environmental sciences is you know super of the moment right now. Yeah. So where was the leap from environmental studies to your career in beverages? <laughs> um, it kind of. Uh, when I graduated from university, it was um, I kind of graduated into a recession. Uh, you know, the the early nineties was a tough time to get a job. You know, and really weren't a lot of um, postgraduate jobs around. Really, it was a really really bad time. Um, and uh, you, you took the work you could get. And I happened to be working part time uh, in a pub whilst I was in my final year at university. And just as I was graduating, the uh, the role of manager came available, and uh, they offered me a live above the pub and run the pub job, uh, which felt like a pretty good way of carrying on the university lifestyle for a couple of years. Um, so, I, so I said yes to that. Um, and so obviously you enjoyed, you enjoyed working at the pub. Yeah, it's a brilliant, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant way of, uh, you know, spending time. You know, it's incredibly hard work. I'm mean, huge respect for people who actually run bars and pubs because they, you know, the bit that the consumer sees is the kind of, you know, standing behind the bar doing the customer facing thing and it's, it's um, you know you have to be you know always smiling, always always interacting, and, and always making the drinks and getting the quality right and doing all of that. But the work behind the scenes is immense. You know the the, the stock taking and the uh, seller management and the, and the replenishing of stock and the cleaning and the staff management and the cashing of the till and all of that stuff is just it's just endless. And it, it is a proper business. You know the amount you learn by running a pub or running a bar is huge. You know and it's all the same disciplines that you then. You know, start to apply if you end up running businesses later on in your life because it, it, it's the same stuff. It's about people, it's about customers, it's about stock, it's about cash flow. It's, it's it's all of those same same things. So I actually really really enjoyed the kind of non customer facing side of it, but I also, as a reasonably sociable person, really enjoyed the customer facing side of it as well. And we were an incredibly busy pub, and we had a brewery in the back, and we made our own beers, and we had a huge range of craft beers and guest, guest ales before that became a big thing. You were pretty young at that time. Yeah, yeah, I was straight out of university and so I was running this place and we, we did, um, we were quite famous locally for doing um, a very wide range of beers and we did 220 beers I think in the two years I was there so we, you know, we changed and I was completely in charge of selecting those which again is just great fun uh, straight out of university, it's kind of you know, talking to every brewery in the land about their different products and choosing the ones that you think might be fun to sell and uh, uh, and just, just, just being kind of in charge, uh, you know, just, just a great thing. And of course, you, you put all your friends behind the bar, and all your other mates go to the other side of the bar, and you, uh, and you, and you, uh, you sell them drinks. So, Were you a big beer drinker then? I, I, I used to. Uh, I think what I became was an incredibly fussy beer drinker mm. um, through that process. You know, the um, the process of making sure that um, um, properly cellared beer is served perfectly. It it is quite an art. Um, and there's an awful lot of bars historically have got that quite wrong, uh, and I became unbelievably fussy. Uh, <laughs> unbelievably, Are you still? I, 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 I am kinder. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist on, on a few things, and uh, I, I just I just don't know why you would do something wrong when it's just slightly harder to do it right. Um, you know, so I, I do I do you know I like to go places that you know go the extra mile and do the extra thing and care enough to. To do things properly, uh, and I think it, it just pays massive dividends if you're a business. You know, why would you why would you serve an average pint of beer if you can serve a brilliant one? Why would you make a poor cocktail when you can, you know, do it do it right? You know, so um, I, I kind of 
I think I trained myself into that <laughs> way of being by running a running a very busy cellar full of very brilliant beers uh, for and very was, demanding consumers. Yeah, that was the beginning really of the craft beer movement, really. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we were one of those very early um, pubs that had a, a brewery in the back, yeah. you know, and we were actually making our own stuff as well as buying in the, the really unusual beers from all over the country. And we, we, we had stuff, you know, we were the kind of the, the place you went if you, were, if you wanted to find something you'd never tried before. Uh, and I, I, I really liked that. I thought that was, I thought that was great. You know, why should everybody drink the same stuff? Um, you know, why shouldn't why shouldn't you be able to go somewhere and get something that's cool and interesting and different and you know breaking the rules a little bit? And I quite liked all that stuff, so I thoroughly enjoyed that that job. But I guess you know, after, after a while, you kind of go, this isn't a very big town, and I'm getting a little bit itchy feet now, and it might be time to go and do something different. But what I really enjoyed was a lot, uh, as well as the kind of you know the selecting the beers and the front of house stuff, was talking to all the sales reps. So I, I really quite liked it when the, the, the brewery guys were coming in, the spirits guys were coming in, um, and, 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 you know, I quite liked what they were spending their time doing. I thought that might be an interesting kind of career. You mean the teaching part of it? No, I, I just quite liked the fact that, you know, these guys were, were going around and um, just interacting with lots of different people and, you know, trying to understand what was right for one customer and what was right for a different customer and looking at their portfolio of products and trying to fit the right products to the right people. And, I thought that was. I thought that might be something that might be a bit more expansive a thing to do than just being at the same bar the whole time running the bar. Um, and how do you go finding a job like that? I, I wrote to every single brewery in the UK um, <laughs> with my CV and said, "Give me a job." Um, and uh, way back then, um, some of the big breweries owned some of the big soft drinks companies, uh, and. One thing led to another, and through through a series of um, interviews, I ended up being offered a job at uh, Britvic Soft Drinks. Um, so I, I went uh, I went down to uh, London and uh, ended up working at Britvic Soft Drinks in what started off as a sales role. And then um, I won the uh, I was in a sales team, and I won the sales incentive every month, six months back to back. To the, point, um, to the point where my uh, my manager asked me how I was doing it, and I said I'm not telling you because um, I was just gaming the system. You know, they, they, they'd written a set of rules for the sales incentive program, and I thought my way past it. And I was I was within the rules, uh, doing <laughs> doing things that guaranteed that I won every single month. <laughs> so, so they uh, they uh, they kicked me out of the sales job and sent me up to head office to write a better sales incentive program for the sales team. <laughs> so I found myself in the trade marketing team at head office six months after I launched and creating sales incentive programs for the national sales team, um, which <laughs> which was quite a good way of getting uh, getting shoved up to head office. So I, I then found myself in the marketing uh, side of the business, uh, and I just did a whole bunch of different different roles uh, at Britvic for what ended up as five years. Uh, and Britvic, of course, is the Pepsi bottler. So I did a lot of work with the Pepsi team and was involved in the Pepsi Max launch and various other exciting stuff. And uh, I had a, had a good time, great business. Um, and after five years, I then got a phone call from a, um, a recruitment guy uh, who was working for uh, the opposition in the Cola Wars. And uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up accepting a job over at Coca-Cola. Uh, I saw so, that in my research. Yeah, I was wondering so, how you got from Pepsi yeah, to Coke. <laughs> yeah, I went from blue to red. And uh, not an awful lot of people do that, actually, on the way through. There was a little bit of a thing within the, although you certainly used to be, um, about, about, you know, you don't really hire the other guy. Um, but I did, I did that. I got a pretty frosty reception from some of the people uh, in, the, in the Coca-Cola world at the time. You would think that they would welcome you in and want to know all the secrets, <laughs> right? Um, well, I, I certainly wasn't taking any secrets with me. Right. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, it 
was quite odd. You know, there, there were some people who really disapproved um, of you know, hiring the opposition. Um, but you know, you, you then quickly get past that by doing stuff. Um, I guess that must have been odd for you because you'd been such a people person, and your job was all people related. And then for yeah, it, you know, it, you'd it, come it, into something, and then yeah, they're not. To they, they, they were back then quite different organisations. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the whole Britvic and Pepsi family was very um, friendly. Um, and you know, great business, still very commercial, doing great things and doing great brand work. Um, the Coca-Cola system was doing all of those things as well, but just felt like it had a much more ruthless commercial edge to it and was a bit more uh, driven. Uh, and um, I, uh, yeah, I, I guess that took a little bit of adjusting to, but once you got your once you got your head around it, uh, I, I found myself thriving quite well there and ended up uh, again getting moved, moved around jobs a few times over the next few years and ended up doing five years there, um, you know, towards the end of which I was in a reasonably, uh, reasonably big job in the marketing uh, team. Um, and I found myself um, being one of the guys who was really pushing the idea of, um, you know, uh, looking at a slightly wider category of drinks other than just fizzy drinks, you know, by definition, the Coca-Cola organisation has got fizzy drinks at its, you know, front and centre, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it it became quite obvious to me and a bunch of other people that you know, long term, that there was a lot of consumers out there who were looking for healthy and more natural drinks uh, made with you know less artificial ingredients and uh, and that were more likely to be still rather than sparkling um, mm. because you know, fizzy drinks tend to be quite tended at the time to be quite sugary um, and there was you know there was a there was not a lot of that stuff in the portfolio um, at, at the time of Coke so I did a lot of work on innovation around that stuff right, looking at brands we could bring in from the international portfolio into the UK uh, and just trying to advocate internally for there to be more of a focus on those those healthier and more natural uh, brands which which was you know uh, which was good, and we did some great things. Um, uh, but you know, being you know, being me, I uh, <laughs> I got a little frustrated with the, the, the speed of change on that. And uh, it's a big uh, company. It's a big company. They're focused on what they're focused on, and that's quite right too, because that's where they make the money, and that's brilliant. I mean, Coke will um, always be Coke. Absolutely right. And it has a great big portfolio of brands outside of that, and has since I was there acquired some amazing brands in the in the healthier healthier drinks and still drinks area. Um, but I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was doing as much as the, as much as I was able to in that space. Do you um, think that you got that little innovation bug when you started to create things and wanted to create I, your own things? I, I think that it's just been kind of a running theme all the way through. I mean, even back to when I was running the pub, you know, it was all about bringing in interesting new things that people hadn't tried before. Um, and when I was um, specifically. Uh, in a role which said, you know, where, what sort of drinks do we think people want to drink in the future? Um, that kind of suited me really well because, you know, I really enjoyed mm. the, the kind of research and analysis side of that, but I also really enjoyed the doing something about it in terms of creating brands and, uh, and innovating. Um, and and, and I, I really liked the, the, the fact that, that that was driving towards more natural ingredients and healthier drinks and, and, and all of that area because I just... I just feel like that should be a, a, a bigger part of the world. You know, I think I think it's important that people have, have healthy products um, uh, and more natural products and better made products and better quality products. And um, and so yes, yeah, so I did a lot of stuff on innovation around that with 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 that business. And then you know, in the classic kind of you know. 
got a bit got a bit frustrated by there being too many committee meetings kind of thing. Why don't I go and do this for myself? Um, I you know dragged a couple of mates down to the pub and said, look, we can. Why don't we go and do this? Um, and uh, grabbed a couple of guys and we ended up after many many coffees and many beers, um, you know, all handing on noticing together and walking out walking out of there as uh, as three reasonably senior guys in the marketing team and starting our own soft drinks company. That's really daring. Um, there's an awful lot of people have done it across a lot of different uh-huh. categories. You know, there's a lot of people who get bored of the big corporate life and go and go and do their own thing. And there's there's tons of entrepreneurs doing it right now. Um, you know, so I'm, it's not unusual or unique. It's just a thing. Um, you know, not everyone does it, uh, but you know, enough enough people have done it. But it's not all that unusual. Um, but we, um, you know, we were three of these sort of senior new product development. Uh, type people uh, from, from that organisation and we went and started a soft drinks company and we did, you know, we, we said, right, okay, if you were starting a soft drinks company from a blank piece of paper, you know, what would you do? Well, you'd, you know, you'd use nice natural ingredients that people feel good about drinking and you'd use, you know, you'd, you'd market the brand in a way that made people smile and feel good and, you know, we, we just had these conversations with ourselves about the kind of business we'd be and the kind of product you'd be and the kind of ingredients you'd use. And we just kept finding the words feel good coming up in the conversation the whole time, so we called it feel good drinks. Um, and then I ended up running feel good drinks for 14 years, uh, which is a, a huge, um, you know, huge amount of fun. You know, we had, we had, we won a lot of awards, we sold a lot of drinks, um, we exported all over the world, uh, you know, we, we did good stuff, you know, we, we, we made beautiful products. It was um, juice drinks. Um, flavored waters, all healthy, natural stuff. You know, no added sugar, no artificial ingredients, and we were one of several brands across several categories that were simultaneously pushing the idea that it's a good idea to you know consume less sugar, right. consume less artificial ingredients, drink more natural things, and do things in a nice way that makes people feel good and spread that feel goodness around. And you know, we just happen to have that as our brand name. Um, so, uh, and there are people effectively running very similar brands across yogurts and the airy and smoothies and all sorts of other product categories um, because there was just a huge consumer trend towards all of those things. You know, people do want nicer ingredients, people do want healthier lifestyles, and people do want you know, to know where their ingredients are coming from. And they need, do want companies that do things ethically and properly and you know, pay people properly and, and all of those other good things. And there's just been a huge wave over the last 20 years of all of that. Um, and we were doing that in juice drinks, and other people were doing it in other <coughs> in other areas. And so, you know, over a very very long period of time, uh, I did that, um, and then eventually we uh, we sold the Feel Good brand to a bigger company in the soft drinks industry in early 2015. Um, and uh, I promised my uh, my other half that we'd uh, you know I'd put my feet up and relax for six months. <laughs> having, Only six months. Uh, having, 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 having had some you know reasonably uh, busy times over the previous <laughs> previous period. Um, and uh, within weeks I found myself talking to other entrepreneurs in the soft drink space who were asking my advice, asking if I would get involved and so I ended up doing some bits of consultancy and, and, and just Helping out you know, with various various brands um, and really re-engaging in what was in what was right at the cutting edge uh, in, in soft drinks and, and getting you know looking at new ingredients and, and things that are happening and I guess that's where the kind of idea for what I'm doing now uh, came from because one of the things that was kind of super hot 
at exactly that point in time and, and remains very, uh, very interesting right now was this whole concept of you know what's going to be the next big thing after coconut water and one of the things that was really emerging in that space was birch water mm-hmm. so you know it's it, again it's the same thing it's natural ingredients from a beautiful part of the world sourced in a sustainable and traditional way that doesn't damage the environment uh, and then very simply packaged up and served to the consumer in a way that is you know very attractive to people who are living a healthier lifestyle where they're seeking you know more natural products and products that are produced with care and uh, and love and, and and you know and which reflect their personal lifestyle values so I was kind of talking to guys who were using that that as an, that birch water as an ingredient mm-hmm. and uh, um, I just lo- I just thought this is this is brilliant stuff you know this is this is this is kind of the perfect um, example of pretty much everything I've been doing all my career which has been about you know healthier more natural ingredients turned into products in a in a way that's you know again done done with done with some consideration to produce products which are different and interesting and, and brilliant for consumers. Um, but of course I didn't want to just make another soft drink in the same way as because I'd be competing with the guys I was helping, which would be which would have been a bit rude. Um, so I, I just started thinking about what else could you do with this ingredient. Um, and you know birch sap is a, a great ingredient it's got natural sugars in it it's got lots of other nice natural things in there that are healthy um, but you know anything that's got natural sugars in it can be can be fermented and uh, so I just started wondering to myself whether or not you could um, create something um, outside of soft drinks uh, from birch sap uh, and uh, that led to various conversations with, 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 with other people and uh, just started bouncing ideas around, uh, and, and you know, fast forward two years, and here we are. Uh, so, um, I, I guess the um, the kind of product um, I, I kind of envisaged when I started thinking about you know alcoholic versions of birch water was you know a spirit brand that was made um, with birch sap as, it, as its kind of starting point and as its base ingredient um, that would be smooth to drink. Um, refreshing and, and create an, an alternative to other product categories. You know, I, I do. You know, I do come in. I, you know, I'm not a spirits industry guy, but I do look at the spirits industry and kind of wonder to myself why why things have to be in those categories. You know, why should vodka, gin, rum, whiskey be? You know, and a few others be the be all there is. You know, why can't there be? Other things that people create from from scratch to give people a choice. Um, and I think think that's. I don't I don't know who gets to set the rules on that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the rules are changing day to day because of people are. like you and well, new products and things like that. I, I think I think that's I think they're changing because people want them to. Mm. I think the consumers are, are kind of asking you know for new things and there's loads of fantastic brands within each of those categories and masses of innovation in each of those categories and that's brilliant. You know, and, and people are really stretching the boundaries of some of those categories in, in new and interesting and exciting ways, which is fantastic. But why should you just be within those categories? Why, why not kind of pop out the other side and do something else? Absolutely. And, and, I, and I, so, you know, my starting point wasn't kind of how do I make a rum or a gin or a tequila or something. My starting point was I've got this amazing ingredient. What would happen if you fermented and distilled from it? So, um, <laughs> I want to slow down in that area because yeah. that's super interesting about how this came to be in yeah. this bottle. Yeah. So you had this idea, 
Yeah. So I want you to unpack it a little. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. So, and, so let's, let's, you know, it could have tasted terrible. Okay. You never know. It, so it really what, could have. So start start with what the ingredients is. Uh-huh. So the, the ingredients is the sap of birch trees. So birch trees are one of the most abundant trees in the world. They grow in massive profusion all across Scandinavia, the Baltics, all across northern Russia, down into uh, northern Japan. Uh, so there's millions and millions of birch trees. Uh, in quite a lot of that territory, it's a very traditional thing to do in the springtime um, to go out into the forest and tap the trees and extract the sap of the trees um, and use it in various traditional ways, uh, including drinking it. Um, the other way, the other, the other common thing to do with it is to boil it down into syrup, uh, which is exactly how the you know, Canadians make maple syrup, mm-hmm. it's made from maple sap oil down. Um, and, and there are various other things that people do with, with birch sap. Um, the, that's been happening in those parts of the world forever, mm-hmm. uh, for absolutely forever. And it's a really, it's all, it, it's, you talk to people who are, are from that part of the world, and many of them have got memories of going out into the forest with grandparents in the springtime and tapping trees and, uh, and drinking the sap and doing nice things and taking it home and making things with it. Uh, and it's a, real, it's a really nice conversation with people about, about that process. And it's done in a, a very sustainable way. The trees aren't damaged. Um, you know, you want to tap that tree again next year or the year after. So, um, you know, it, it's um, it, it's very with the zeitgeist at the moment in terms of you know sustainable ingredients sourced from the wild. I mean, it's almost foraged. You know, so it's it's a it's a nice thing. Uh, that. and the liquid itself is it's clear. Um, it's got some sugars in it. It's got some amino acids and minerals in it. It's, it's a, it tastes great. Uh, and you can do you can do different things with it. So that, that's the kind of base ingredient, and you know the farmers will go out into the forest and they'll tap, they'll tap it and collect it, and then they'll sell it to farmers' collectives who sell it on to organisations that want to use it in various different ways, or they'll sell it and consume it locally. So there's a lot of it out there, um, and it's sourced in a very nice way. Um, and you know, the, as I say, there are guys now selling it as a soft drink here, mm-hmm. and doing great, with it, and, and, and that's brilliant, and they're blending it with fruits from the forest and all sorts of good things and, and that, that's, that's fantastic stuff. So you took and some of this sap? So what I did was I kind of took some of that sap and I, I said to myself here's a liquid from nature with some natural sugars in it, <clears throat> I wonder if you could ferment it uh, and, and do something interesting with it and what would you get out of the other end of that process um, so of course what you need if you're going to do that is someone who's a distiller and knows what they're talking about um, and you know, my, you know I'm not a distiller I'm, uh, uh, not my thing um, but I know people who know people who are. So I, I kind of asked around. Uh, I've got a fairly wide network of contacts in the, in the drinks industry, as you can imagine. So, uh, and I got introduced to um, Dr. John Walters, the English spirits distiller. And John's a he's a fantastic distiller. He's uh, he's a person who believes that you know you can make products um, from raw ingredients uh, and 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 produce products here in the, in England that are as good as. Um, products that come from the places that they more traditionally come from. He makes incredible rum, for example, uh, and has won many awards for his rums. Uh, you know, and you know, an English rum winning international awards—that's pretty good. So, did um, he like the idea? Of he this? really liked the idea. Uh, he had no idea what would happen when he went through the process of trying to create the create the product. Um, so, I I got hold of a couple of hundred liters of uh, birch sap and uh, gave it to John, and uh, he's. He's taken that, and what we're doing is we, we get the sap, um, and it's frozen as soon as it comes out of the tree, so it stays, it retains its freshness. We bring it across frozen. So I sent him a, you know, 200 litres of frozen birch sap, 
he defrosted it, he added a little sugar, he added, added his strain of yeast that he's developed at the distillery, he fermented it for seven days, he then distilled it, um, the spills he uses are all handmade uh, on site um, to his specification, so he, he distilled it, it comes off the still at a high ABV, and he then diluted it down to uh, 40%, which is about right for a premium spirit, uh, using purified water, but also just using a little bit of birch sap uh, in the uh, in the end uh, end product. Um, and he, you know, he gave me a call. And he said, "Come back up. I've got something. Let's try it." And we sat down and we drank half a bottle of it. And, um, you <laughs> so know, fantastic! It was, so it didn't really take that was, long to get what you pretty, wanted. It was pretty good. Um, you know, we, we made a tiny tiny uh-huh. tweak to the process to get it to get it exactly where we wanted it to be. But you know, he's made a, a spirit which is really smooth. Um, it's, uh, it really fills the mouth, so it, it feels like a, a really grown-up spirit when you're drinking it. Uh, but it's got lots of fresh flavours in it and lots of nice natural flavours in it. And it's quite distinctive. You know, it's not overpoweringly strong so that you would only want a couple of drops in it, um, of it in, a, in a cocktail or in a, in a drink. Um, it's, a, it's a proper alternative to a vodka tequila gin with the same level of flavour as a gin or a tequila. Um, and much more flavour than, than most vodkas, um, but it's a distinctive set of flavours. You know, it, it is quite different. You know, not all the flavour in the product is coming from the birch, um, and it, it's um, you know it's been incredibly well received. You know, it's it really does taste different than any of those other products. Uh, it's got very nice kind of fresh green natural flavours up front, and it kind of fades to a light woody flavour at the end, um, and it just creates a really nice alternative to those spirits when you start making. Cocktails, you know, or making long, refreshing drinks. You know, a, a Freya with a, uh, a herbal tonic, uh, so an elderflower tonic, for example, and uh, maybe some fresh mint leaves in the glass. It's a delicious thing. You know, it's really nice. You know, as an alternative to a, a gin and tonic, that's a really nice thing um, and quite a different flavour. And it's uh, been so well received that you have another one. We right? have, yeah. So we launched in um, November sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I'll come back and talk a little bit maybe about why it's called Freya in a, in a second. But um, So we launched in November 16, and, and what we really wanted to do was just kind of introduce the brand to the, the best cocktail bars and, and, and see what the response would be. Um, and we, we've, uh, we've just had a lot of uptake from really good bars because they are, you know, the bartenders sell a lot of drinks and they interact with a lot of spirits brands and they're always interested to try something new and different and they've found that they can really tell stories with the brand so they can, they can you know, we've not gone and told them how to serve Freya. We've said to them, you know, this, this is what it is, uh, this is how we make it, this is where it's from, um, this is why it's different, and we've let them taste it, they've really enjoyed it, and then they've created cocktails around that that are, um, that are either completely unique and where they're pairing Freya with other natural ingredients or other ingredients from the forest or other ingredients from Scandinavia, or they're taking a classic cocktail that's normally made with a white spirit, changing that spirit out for Freya and making a contemporary twist on a classic cocktail, mm-hmm. both of which work really, really well. And we've had some amazing Freya martinis and Freya margaritas and white Negronis and all sorts of, all sorts of good things. Um, but a year after we launched, I wanted to kind of say thank you to the bartenders who really looked after us in that first year and, uh, and had been experimental and had done, done some good things. So as a limited edition, um, we made... Um, a smoked version of Freya. So we, uh, you know, Freya was the Norse goddess of uh, many things, actually. She was the Norse goddess of love and fertility and 
gold uh, and uh, war to an extent. Um, <coughs> worshipped primarily in the springtime when the trees were coming back to life, the birch tree is sacred to Freya um, because she was a fertility goddess at heart. Uh, but a very powerful, dominant female character and just a great embodiment for our, for the brand, you know, for, for, for today's you know, you know, drinkers. So um, Freya's, Freya's the brand, um, and Freya's worshippers used to build campfires, uh, and they would purify their, themselves in the smoke of the fire before they went to worship Freya, uh, and they would build their fires from different woods, and each wood represented something different. So we kind of looked back into the story and tried to select the same woods that they used, and then we burned those woods and infused the smoke into Freya to make Freya wood smoke, which is the, the new product. Um, and... It's a really, really interesting product because you get all the smoothness and natural flavour of Freya, but you get this big, lingering campfire smoke flavour through, uh, through there as well. Um, and it's just really good. Um, <laughs> it, just, it just works. Just, just you know, drink it straight out of the glass. It's really nice. Um, it's a drink it over ice. Absolutely terrific. Uh, it's, it's um, you know, if you're someone who likes a smoky whiskey or a smoky mezcal, it kind of does that job, but differently and smooth and smoother than a lot of those products. Um, it's just a really nice thing. It's, again, it's just about giving the bartender and the consumer something different they can play with. Um, and we've found that it just, you know, just by chance, it just happens to make one or two cocktails incredibly well. It makes a great Bloody Mary, that kind of smoky, campfirey notes through it, it with the kind of spiciness and the tomato works amazingly well. And we found that it also makes an incredible espresso martini. So the kind of roast coffee with the smoky uh, natural flavours of Freya wood smoke, just, they just go together like a dream. So we've had quite a lot of fun with that. And, and, and yeah, again, bartenders are experimenting and making lighter versions of whiskey cocktails with Freya wood smoke and really enjoying that. So we, we launched it as a limited edition and just, sort of, uh, and just gave, you know, gave, gave bottles as a thank you to all the bartenders who had been working with us previously. Um, but the response was so good that, we, that we've kind of launched it permanently now. Um, so we've got uh, so we've got Freya Birch Spirit and we've got Freya Wood Smoke, um, and they're they're both out there. And we're we're starting to see some Freya Wood Smoke cocktails appearing on bar menus now, and um, it's good. There's um, yeah, there's there's, uh, there's there's some really really nice serves starting to pop up out there. So uh, we're really enjoying that. So it's, well, I've got to try one of those espresso martinis. It's honestly, you'll you'll, you'll never have uh, an unsmoked espresso martini again. Should <laughs> we go try one now? We can do that. Yeah, definitely. Next time someone asks me to take the Pepsi challenge, I'm asking for Freya. Thanks so much to David for being on the show. That espresso martini was fabulous but it was the Freya Spritz that is going to be added to the list of my favorite summer cocktails. Which brings us to our cocktail of the week. Light, summery, and easy to make, the Freya Spritz should be added to your summer cocktail list too. Take a large chilled balloon wine glass and add 10 mils of elderflower cordial to it. Then swirl it around the glass. Half fill the glass with large ice cubes and a squeezed wedge of lemon, and then add in 25 ml of Freya Birch Spirit, 50 ml of soda water, and 75 ml of good dry white wine. Stir and serve. Add fresh lemon and rosemary to garnish. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com 
where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. If you've liked what you've heard today, then please rate us on iTunes. It really helps. Thank you. Next episode will be in London at a brand new bar that was inspired by a torrid love affair between Lady Charlotte Louisa Fitzrovia and Loken Dwala's notorious street boss, Vijay. Find out all the dirty details then. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.